It's a joy to be with you. If I say, God is good, what's your response? <laughs> and if I say, all the time, how many really believe that? Let me tell you somebody who does not believe that. Satan. And he doesn't play fair. You ever notice that? <laughs> how many's known somebody that loved Jesus was walking with Jesus, and they no longer are. Let me see your hand. Why do you think that happened? What happened for them to leave the most exciting, life-giving relationship and go another direction? The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So my question is, do you really believe that statement all the time? So what happens when you have a question that doesn't get the right answer? What happens when you have a problem you can't solve, a relationship you can't mend, a physical disease the doctor cannot successfully treat, a prayer of healing that doesn't get answered? What do you think when Christians in another part of the world are martyred for their faith and they left with this great idea and faith that God would protect them. What do you think about war and violence, the powers of darkness that affect the just and the unjust? How do you handle the premature death of someone you love, of a child? What do you do? Where do you go? Where do you turn? Well, I mean, we know that there is a place to turn. It's Jesus Christ. It's this book, but I just had you admit that there are a lot of people that when they have a situation like I've just described, they lose out with God. Now, they have a story, and they may have an excuse. In fact, <laughs> there's a lot of stories in this room. I love stories. In fact, the Bible is a book of stories. It's also a story in a book. 66 different books, 1,189 chapters. The Bible is a great book of stories. It's a story that was foreordained before the foundation of the world. It's a story that was foretold from about Genesis 3.15 all the way through Scripture, told by prophets and writers and messengers and pictures and precepts. It's a story that was foreshadowed by priests and prophets and kings in the Old Testament, advanced pictures of somebody that's coming. It was a story that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We just took communion. We just looked back and remembered that very moment. That's the story. It's a story that was, Paul says in Galatians 4.19, being formed in you. Every good story has a champion. And a villain. Ours is not just a good story. Ours is the only story that really matters. Can you say amen to that? 
Now, our villain shows up in Genesis chapter 3, and he's very clever. He's very clever. He doesn't start with a blatant accusation, but by introducing a thread of doubt. A thread of doubt. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Let me read it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He didn't say God said. He said, did he really say? He didn't identify which tree. He just generalized. Another version says, did I understand that God said, what's his motive? His motive is to plant a seed of doubt, to challenge God's integrity, to shatter Eve's ability to trust that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And the story begins. Now, most of us know the story. In fact, I love stories. Each of us is a story. We have a story. There's just a group of stories here. And we know that Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. So one of God's greatest desires is to be believed. One of Satan's greatest desires is to challenge that belief system and to break that trust and to corrupt your story. I love the story of Brooklyn Tab. It's a story of God's miraculous provision and guidance from when it started to today. Amen? I love the story, and I don't know their stories that well, but I'm well enough acquainted with your pastors to know their story. And so the beginning of relationship is really history giving, knowing somebody's story. Pastor Jim asked my wife, Johanna, to stand a moment ago. Now, she stood so rapidly that nobody saw her, but she actually does exist, and she is here. Her story is pretty interesting. Her father raised in Holland, his dad, so it'd be Johanna's grandfather, was killed in a Nazi work camp during the war. His mother and his sister lived in a houseboat, and he lived with them just as a teenager, docked on the Rhine River in the lower Rhine at a little village, a fishing village. They all lived on houseboats in the Rhine called Lofair. And they'd already lost the husband, the father, in a tragic, tragic moment of loss. Now they are sitting there having a meal, and they hear planes flying down the Rhine, a formation of planes. He runs outside, runs over to the bank to look up, and he sees that they're allied planes, and so he starts waving, as a teenage Dutch boy might do, and a horrific mistake occurred. You can Google it. It's called Operation Market Garden. 24 people living on those houseboats in that little fishing community. And they dropped a load of bombs on that innocent little village. 
They thought, erroneously, thought that there was a, 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 an enemy congregating there and there was none. And when the explosion stopped, this 14-year-old Dutch boy, Hank Radifkogel, was the only survivor. 23 out of 24 people had passed away and died, some as young as a small baby. He ran back to the water to find his sister if he could, and he never found any evidence that she'd ever been alive. He was looking for his mother, and he waded out into the murky waters of the Rhine, and the only remains of his mother he could find was a little piece of scalp floating with hair attached. And then he found her Bible floating down that Rhine. And he took that Bible in one hand and the remains of his mother in the other, and he walked crying, fearful, traumatized. I can't even imagine him being the only survivor. And he bought into Satan's lie, that thread of doubt that comes when the pain is overwhelming. And at 14 years old, he clenched his fist into the heavens and shook it into the face of Father God. And he said, you're no God of love to me to allow all of this to happen for my family to be gone. And he bought into Satan's lie that day when he said these words, I make a vow. I will never bow my knee to you ever because of this loss in my life, because of what's happened to me. Aren't you glad? That when you're not looking for God, God's still looking for you. (laughs) That vow was a vow that he made. I I don't have time to tell the whole story. It turns out a whole lot better than it sounds right now. I just don't have time to finish it all. But I'll bring it to conclusion at the end. That's my story. Johanna tells that story in a book called Tangled Destinies. And it tells about her mother's conversion and her father's conversion and their immigration to the United States. It's a story of grace. It's a story of providence. But it begins with a satanic lie that maybe you've heard a derivative of. If God really loved you, why did he let that happen to you? If God is all-powerful, why are the horrible things that are happening Even in our own city here, why are they happening? See, my story is so different than Johanna's. Johanna's mother was from Indonesia. She was uh, Chinese descent. She marries a Dutch soldier because her father grew up. He became a soldier. He survived two concentration camps. And he was then sent after the war to Indonesia to fight in a revolution there. He met Johanna's mother. They get married. They go back to Holland after 30 days after they got married. Her Family disowned her mom and dad because she married a European soldier. She was tormented by the powers of Satan. I can tell you that God has grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. When we don't see how there can be an answer, there is an answer because God really is good. She was <laughs> overwhelmed with fear at night. It's, 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 it's quite involved. The powers of darkness were so very prevalent. Her marriage was crumbling. She was fearful of children being born. Johanna, the firstborn, 
some friends said, you need a break, Jan. That was her English name, and they, I don't know if they tricked her on purpose or they just didn't explain the whole trip, but they took her to Amsterdam. She thought she was going to see the glitter of Amsterdam. Amsterdam, she ended up in a Billy Graham meeting. <laughs> Come on. She had never heard of Billy Graham. She had never been in a church service. She had never heard anybody preach from a Bible. She had no knowledge, but Jesus appeared to her in a vision. <laughs> and when he touched her, something happened. She walked down that aisle at the invitation of Billy Graham to come forward. At the end of his message, a Chinese Buddhist, she walked back up that aisle, a Chinese believer, changed by the power of Almighty God. It's the story. My story is so different. <laughs> I'm from Sarah Lake, Texas. <laughs> I know. You don't believe it, but it's true. <laughs> it's a little small town, oil-filled boom town that dried up in a lake that was supposed to have therapeutic value, and it dried up. My father was a high school dropout, began drinking at an early age, became a dysfunctional alcoholic, married my mother when he was 30 years old, she was 12 years younger. It's a whole story. They weren't supposed to have children. I was a surprise after seven years of marriage when I was announced. My father said, I've heard him tell it many times, I didn't know how I could be a successful father in this drunken condition. Six months before I was born, they were coming from a party. He had been drinking. He thought he was dying with a heart attack. He slowed the car down so if he crashed, it wouldn't have an impact on his wife or the unborn child, which was me. And he prayed a prayer, the most unconventional conversion prayer I've ever heard of in my life. He whispered it. Mother didn't hear it. She never knew it was happening. He wasn't at an altar. He wasn't at a church. He just said, God, please spare my life to see that child. And if I ever take another drink of liquor, as long as I live, I want you to poison me and let me drop dead. <laughs> Nobody negotiates with an addict. <laughs> They'll tell you anything to get what they want, right? <laughs> But Jesus looked past all of his past failures, all of the lies, all the mistakes, everything he'd ever done, every promise he'd ever made about sobriety he had broken. But in one split second, he went from sot to saint, changed by the power of Almighty God. That's the story of God's grace. Don't you love stories? <laughs> Uh, that's not the end of the miracle. Within just a few months, I know this doesn't sound logical, and I was part of a system in Springfield, Missouri, that created hoops for people to jump through to get their credentials. But I can tell you that sometimes God makes exceptions. So after he had been saved only a few months, not even finishing high school, certainly no Bible college training, he was appointed pastor of a church before he'd ever preached his first sermon. <laughs> they don't do that anymore. Probably shouldn't have done it then. But they figured, I guess it's such a small church, he couldn't mess it up. Nobody there but his family. Dad's been in heaven a long time because of his age and some disease I'll talk about later. But mom passed away at the age of 96, and we went back to that little church for he and mom spent, he and dad spent, she and dad and mom, they spent just the two of them pastoring a small, small group of people in a church that wouldn't seat 90 people. We had her celebration of life in that service, in that church, in that town. 
And I walked into that door, hadn't been in there in a long When I say small, I mean really small. He didn't have an office. He didn't have a secretary. He didn't have a deacon board. We didn't even have a foyer in our church. He was the in or out of our little church. <laughs> God's grace. The power of the story. But the end of his ministry wasn't quite as miraculous as the beginning. I mean, he got saved, and it was just unbelievable. How many know sometimes God takes the unqualified and qualifies them? (laughs) Amen. So you may think and the devil may tell you, you're not going to be useful in the kingdom, but God can use anybody. (laughs) I mean, it goes on and on. When I was eight years old, he came to me and he said, you're our new pianist. I said, but I only know one song. He said, don't worry, we'll sing it every week. (laughs) He said, you, you play the song you know, and then you sit there on the piano bench, and you play those other songs in your mind. <laughs> Praying that God will teach you how to play them <laughs> while we sing a cappella. <laughs> you know what a cappella means. It means we don't have a piano player. <laughs> That's what it means. <laughs> he thought God would teach me. Well, he didn't. God didn't. Mother had a better idea. Take lessons and practice. <laughs> He was healed of a broken neck. He was paralyzed. I mean, so many miracles in his life. It's unbelievable if I had time to tell you the whole story. But at the end of his life, he was stricken with a disease that's diabolical. There's no known cure. It is a dementia that strips you of every bit of your cognitive ability. Our journey with Alzheimer's disease with him was about an eight-year journey. I remember the day that I walked into the hospital room. And as I was walking in, the doctor was walking out, and he said, Reverend, I know you already know this, but your father has no cognitive ability left. His upper brain function is gone. His lower brain function is gone. He won't recognize you. I, I knew that. He said, we're going to keep him comfortable till he passes. He said, in fact, he hasn't even made a sound for the last four months. It's medically and physically impossible for him to make a sound. But he said, it's not your father I'm concerned about. We're going to keep him comfortable till he passes. It's your mother. She's been the caregiver for all of these years. And she's emotionally and physically depleted. And you're going to have to do something. I'd read a lot about the disease. Maybe you or a family member or somebody you know has been touched by that horrible, diabolical, dastardly disease. He walked out. I walked in. Dad was lying in a fetal position, 87 pounds draped on a six-foot frame. So frail, not knowing that I was present, and Satan spoke to me. The same voice that had spoken to Johanna's father when he was 14. It wasn't an audible voice. I think you'll understand. It wasn't me. It wasn't God. It had to be the adversary, the thief who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he said, how do you preach faith when your father's lying here in this condition? How do you tell people that God is a good God and he cares about them, that he's going to help them, that he's going to answer their prayer when your dad has given his life to ministry, pastored small church Two churches, actually. Another one, and it was a little bigger, but very small. And he began to tell me all of the reality that I already knew. 
I quoted scripture back and forth, and I was on kind of an emotional roller coaster. You probably know exactly what I was thinking and doing. If you've ever had a problem that won't go away and a pain that won't be healed and a question you can't answer. I got to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, We have a tabernacle not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. <laughs> and I just spoke out loud, Devil, you can't win. If my dad's eyes close in death in the next three seconds, he's just going to step from one plane of reality to another plane of reality. And when he wakes up, he's going to be in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. That's what it means to be a believer, to be a Christian. I got my victory and I stepped outside into the hallway and mom and my sister and brother-in-law had been to the cafeteria to get a little lunch. They came back and they heard me inside, so they'd stayed outside. And mom looked at me and she had an expression I don't think I'd ever seen. And she said, son, what have you been doing? I said, I've been in there praying with pop. She said, why? It won't do any good. I said, what do you mean? Well, she said, when you need God the most, son, God will turn his back on you. We've been praying for him for all these years, and look at him. He's progressively worse. He's not just my husband. He's my pastor. I need him to talk to me. I can't communicate with him. I haven't been able to talk to him and communicate with him for months, maybe a couple of years. And for the last four months, he hasn't even made a sound. She said, it's a joke, son. That's what it is. And then she did something I could have never anticipated. She Shook her finger in my face and she said, son, don't you ever pray in my presence again. You don't know Elise Garrison. You hear those words, your reaction, I can almost feel what you were thinking. She doesn't know the Lord. She's once knew and she's gone. No, 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 no. That's not the mother I knew. Introverted, Yes. But a prayer warrior, if you wanted somebody to pray, you got a hold of mama. And she could pray and stuff would happen. And now what I'm hearing come out of her lips sounds like blasphemy. Blasphemy. I didn't have any response. I just turned and walked away. And I'm driving on the freeway system there in Dallas, Texas, and I'm talking to God. I wouldn't even call it a prayer. I think it was more of a venting. I said, God... Dad's going to be fine. His transition's going to be glorious and wonderful. But mother, I mean, I'm not her judge, okay? I can't judge her. But just listening to her, it sounded bad to me. I said, she's lost her faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Romans chapter 14, verse 23 says, what serves not of faith is sin. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. I thought mom had lost her faith. I said, God, you got yourself a big problem. (laughs) I don't know what to do. I thought she lost her faith. I think she thought she lost her faith. I read a stat the other day I'd never heard. 60% of the atheists were raised in church-going homes. 60%. That hardly seems possible. At some point, something happened. When faced with unanswerable questions, a person might erroneously assume the faith they believe in is inadequate or irrelevant. Satan will attack you at the point of your greatest vulnerability. I thought mom had lost her faith. 
She bought into that same lie that Satan started using way back when. If God really loved you, why would he let that happen to you? God is good. All the time. See, I've come to a conclusion. I believe the Holy Spirit taught us something. It's a life lesson for the Garrison family, and I'd like to pass it on to you and anyone that's watching online right now. It was not her faith she lost. It was her hope. It was not her faith. It was her hope. See, Satan is very clever. He was challenging God's integrity. He was getting her to doubt. He was striking against the very source of her trust in God. So what's the difference between faith and hope? Faith deals with details. Hope deals with deity. Faith, the Bible says you're given a measure of faith when you are saved. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, you can grow your faith. Now, faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. So the more of this book you get inside of you, the more faith you have. So you have a measure of faith. That's an event. Then you have a process, and it's more and more and more. The more you study, the more faith you get. The more you learn, the more faith you get. It is a it's, 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 it's educational. So if faith is educational, hope is more emotional. Faith finds its foundation in God's Word. Hope is a mental attitude. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, when that woman with the issue of blood reached out and touched the hem of his garment, Jesus turned and said, it was your faith that made you whole. It was faith that got her her miracle, but it was hope that put her on that roadside. Faith is related to miracles. Hope is related to morale. So what's the definition of hope? It is a favorable, confident, happy anticipation. It's an expectation that a desire, a dream, or a goal will be achieved. It's a feeling of excitement about something that is about to transpire. If faith is the dynamite that explodes truth and brings us from doubt to belief, from defeat to victory, from the unseen to the seen, if faith is the dynamite, hope is the fuse. Without the fuse, the dynamite is worthless. So Satan's attack may not start against your faith. I, I, I don't know in your situation. I'm just saying for us, I believe that Satan came against her hope. It's easier for the devil to discourage you mentally than to defeat you scripturally. It's easier for him to manipulate a circumstance in our lives than it is for him to alter the word of God. The opposite of hope is hopelessness, to have no expectation, to reach a place of despair that results in despondency and ends with giving up. You take away a man's wealth and you hinder him. You take away a man's health and you handicap him, but you take away a person's hope and you stop them dead in their tracks. You paralyze them. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You look at this world, inflation, crime, divisiveness, violence, cancel culture, and I could go on and on. This is not, this, this next statement, I understand it's not intellectual, and it's not even theologically appropriate, perhaps, but it's my first time here, maybe my last. <laughs> <laughs> Satan is a hope sucker. <laughs> there are a lot of people that have given up. They walk away from the faith, and they had enough faith to turn it around. They lost hope. They've given up on their health, and they've given up on their finances, and they've given up on their marriage. They've given up on their—you fill in the blank. 
between the time God gives a promise and that time it is fulfilled. There's a lapse of time, so we become discouraged. Hopelessness, hopelessness. So how did my little mother get that way? How is hope destroyed? You might want to write this down. There, there's three things that I think, there may be a whole lot more, but how could someone who could have a prayer life like hers, have belief system like hers, have experience like her, how could she say, don't ever pray in my presence again? Now, I've been talking about stories, and we've been talking about our story. I wished I knew all of your stories, but there's a story here that starts back in Genesis 12 that kind of gives us a lot of insight about my subject. It could take a lot longer to unpack this. I'm just going to try to give you an overview so we can get out of here in a reasonable time. But there's a man named Abram, Genesis 12. At the age of 75 years old, God promised him a son. A promised son. Now, he had no offspring. He had a wife who was completely and totally infertile. And God says, I'm going to make you a great nation against all odds. He tells a man who has no child with a wife who cannot bear any child that he's going to have a great nation. And he says, I will bless you, verse 3, and I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And, And all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a big deal. All of God's program from now to the end of... Genesis chapter 50 plus all the way throughout the Bible and even up to today. The rest of all of that is about the offspring of Abraham creating a nation of people that would produce, guess what? Guess who? Guess when? Five times in the book of Genesis chapter 12, God says, I'll do it. Five times. I will do it. Guess what Satan did? He starts spinning his web of doubt. You may look at your marriage. You may look at your family. You may look at your finances. You may look at everything else. Don't you know every day when Abram's feet hit the floor and Satan screamed in his ears, it's hopeless. You know what his name meant? Exalted father. Can you see him at the diner? Trying to tell everybody, I'm going to be the father of many people. Where's your son? Well, it hadn't happened yet. Well, who are you married to? (laughs) Another problem. (laughs) Here's the first thing that will destroy hope. is when you start questioning God's promise. When you start questioning God's promise, you don't trust God. And then you get impatient. See, God gave him a new name in chapter 17. It was called Abraham, and it means the father of a whole bunch of people. (laughs) So he went from exalted father to the father of a multitude. When he turns 99, guess what happened? Still no son, no promised son. Now I realize there's a deeper story here biblically. But we're living in the flesh. And one of the ways that when we start questioning stuff, we get impatient. And we are an impatient group. Just walking from the hotel over here, I watched a big old bus almost run over a bicyclist who he was honking at because he was in the wrong place. He couldn't wait 13 seconds 
if you ever driven a car and the light turned green and you don't move fast enough, they're honking four cars back. This generation is wired tight. I've seen some tongue talkers that get pretty impatient. <laughs> we can't wait 25 years. Some of us can't wait 25 days. Some of us can't wait 25 minutes. You say, well, I'm not impatient. I'm a godly person. <laughs> Have you ever stood in front of your microwave oven tapping your foot because it wasn't working fast enough? Come on. <laughs> Have you ever been in a, in a checkout line that said 20 items or less? Remember that? And you're counting that dude's items in front of you? You get to 21, 22, 23, you'll lose your anointing for four days over three extra can of beans. <laughs> See, our problem is we're microwave Christians sometimes, <laughs> and we got a crockpot God. <laughs> I didn't say crackpot. If you're going to tweet it, tweet it, get it right. Come on. God said, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. He said, go tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on God. Come on. They that wait. Second thing that will destroy hope is when you think it's up to you to bring forth the promise. Get out of the spirit. Get in the flesh. When Abram was 85 years old, it had been about 10 years since the promise, and it had been no promised son. It's that waiting time between seed time and harvest that we sometimes demonstrate our distrust. See, God had referred to the promise in Genesis 12, but in Genesis 15, God speaks to him again and says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And behold, you have given me no offspring. Then he goes out, and I don't have time to unpack it, but he gives a visual illustration of how numerous the stars are. You remember reading that? How numerous the sand on the ocean shore, and that's how many descendants you're going to have. And then, and then he gets over there in the next chapter or so, and he talks about this covenant. This is such a big deal. I really don't have time to unpack that, but that, that's a major, 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 major relationship, this covenant relationship. And then Sarah says to Abram, Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, my slave. Now, this was something that was culturally acceptable in that time. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. This was not God's plan. This was not God's will. This was not God's perfect plan. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah, just like Adam listened to Eve. Although God had repeatedly made it plain to Abram that he had declared that he would have many descendants and become the father of many, he allowed his wife to attempt to solve a sacred promise with a human carnal action. Verse 15, chapter 16, And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael, and Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. Here's the third thing that will cause you to lose hope, is when you start reacting only to what you see. When you question God's promise, when you think it's up to you, get in the flesh instead of the spirit, and number three, when you start reacting only to what you see. Satan loves to play the what-if game. 
What if this doesn't happen? What if this doesn't work? What if God doesn't hear your prayer? If God really loved you, why would he allow this to happen? If God was all-powerful, why is there war? It's a matter of focus. It's a matter of focus. It's not a matter of denying reality. He didn't deny how old he was. you got to focus. Caleb and Joshua went into the land to check it out, 40 days. Ten people went with them. That's 12. Ten came back with a negative report. Two came back with a positive report. If I'd have been Moses, I'd have said to the ten, did you go where Caleb and Joshua went? Or I'd have said to Caleb and Joshua, did you go where these ten went? They saw that the giants were so big they looked like grasshoppers in their own sight. (laughs) Didn't you see the size of those giants? Caleb and Joshua said, yeah, but don't you see the size of these grapes? (laughs) Are you grape conscious or giant conscious? It's a matter of focus. How do you maintain your focus? Don't lose hope because you may not be seeing what's going on. Let's see what happened to Abraham. Look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Now this is a short overview of the long story I presented to you. Here it is. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Look at verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as it had been told, so shall your offspring be. How did he maintain hope? Look at verse 17. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead. Who gives life to the dead. Somebody say amen. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. See, he knew that he served a God who was the creator of all life. He knew he served Jehovah Jireh. He served Jehovah El Shaddai. He was serving a God that is the more than enough, not the El Chippo. If God needed to, he could create whatever was missing. He could heal whatever was broken. He could fix whatever needed to be fixed if that woman was going to bear that son. Come on, if God is on your side, if his miracle working power is working in you, you don't have to worry anymore. God God is good and his mercies endure forever. Come on, get your hopes up today because God is going to do something special in your life tonight. Well, I've tell, told you the definition of, and I've told you the destruction hope. Turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And let me tell you how hope is developed. Would you like to? have more hope? You say, well, Alton, I would never get to where your mother was. I would never say those words. I hope you wouldn't. You may not have your hope tank on empty like hers. Her needle was on E. But if you're not full of hope tonight, you could use a dose of hope. (laughs) Would you like to top off your tank? (laughs) Let's look at it. Verse 15. Verse 13, chapter 15, may the God of hope stop right there. Who's the source of hope? If God is the source of hope, how many believe hope's going to be all right? 
How do you know? Read his bio. Read his bio. His past performance is an accurate predictor of his future behavior. He's the source of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that's faith, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So if God is a source of hope and faith is a substance of hope and the Holy Spirit is a supplier of hope, Four days after she pointed her finger in my face and said, don't ever pray in my presence again. She said, son, I walked into your dad's hospital room. I was angry. I was bitter. I didn't want anybody praying for me. I didn't want anybody loving me. I didn't want anybody talking to me. I was hopeless. Has hope restored by the power of the Holy Spirit? She said, but when I stepped into that room, through over that threshold, I sensed the presence of Almighty God. See, we believe God's so rich and real that he has an essence about him. You can sense his presence, the anointing, we call it, Shekinah, they call it in the Old Testament. Come on. Not only did she feel God's presence, she said, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, get ready. He's going to talk to you today. (laughs) Get ready. He's going to talk to you today. She said, I thought that can't happen. I must be wishful thinking. Maybe I'm hallucinating. Maybe Satan is trying to destroy me one more time. It wasn't an audible voice. It's like that knowing in your knower. I think you know what I'm talking about. But when that boy said get ready he's going to talk to you that hope needle that was on empty began to flutter what is hope it's a confident happy anticipation of something that's about to happen <laughs> looking out there in the future it's not the past it's not the present it's the future and she said I drug a chair up by his bed and I sat transfixed watching him He was lying in that same fetal position, turned my way, she said, his eyes glassy, looking but not seeing. But something was different in me. Something was different in me. The Holy Spirit was working. The Holy Spirit was working. Aren't you glad? Wouldn't you like to have been with Sarah when she went to the doctor? (laughs) She walks in and sits down. She's 90 years old. He's a hundred. All these women in there, these young ladies, they're all giggling and glowing. And one of them looks and says, Grandma, you're in the wrong room. We're having babies in here. They're giving out Geritol down the hall. She said, no, 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 I'm in the right place. Well, how are you going to have a baby? By the power of the Holy Spirit. 
By the power of the Holy Spirit. God says I'm going to be an overcomer. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. God says he's going to restore my marriage. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Pastor says we're going to reach this whole neighborhood. We're going to reach people we've never reached before. It's like they're unreachable. How are we going to do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to do the impossible by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's going to get your hope laid. She said, I was looking right into his eyes when they cleared up and he looked straight at me. And all of a sudden, lips that had not moved, a diaphragm that had not cooperated, a, a vocal cords that had not given forth a word in four months of silence. Suddenly, all of a sudden, he began to speak. And out of a mouth that had not spoken to me in so long, I could not even remember the last time I had an intelligent conversation with him. He looked at me with blue eyes and he said, you know what, honey? God still answers prayer. Hallelujah. God still answers prayer. Come on. If God did it once, he can do it again. If he's touched you once, he can do God still answers prayer. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Stand, please, all over this room. Hallelujah. She said he lay there and spoke in his heavenly prayer language for 10 minutes, then lapsed into an unconscious coma. And he never spoke again till he passed. Somebody said, where's the miracle? She said, son, I'll tell you where the miracle was. The only man that could have ministered to me no prophet, no preacher, no bishop, no pope, nobody could have ministered to me. The only person that could minister to me was your father, and he was brain dead. But God let him preach one final sermon. Hallelujah. One final sermon. And if he's done it once, he can do it again. Get your hopes up tonight. Get your hopes up tonight. Get your hopes up tonight. How's he going to restore your hope? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.